doing this morning? Good. Praising the Lord. Amen. Well, it's a good night. They've got temperature up here and everything. I guarantee you it's warmer up here than it is down there. Amen. This is, this is real sweat coming off here. Amen. Uh, remember when I was a kid, watch that stupid all-star wrestling. They had fake blood. Well, this is real sweat. Amen. Man, I didn't realize how much warmer platforms were. I no spotlight. Well, there's a couple of them. Amen. Now I can now I can verify. You kind of take a picture of that. I'm just teasing. Amen. Put that out on Twitter. Amen. Us preachers suffer. All right. Well, amen. Well, uh, take your Bible if you would, please, and go to. Uh, let's go to John chapter 17. I'm going to just very quickly do a review with you of what we talked about uh, for Sunday school. And uh, we, of course, were in Jeremiah chapter number 18. We looked at an Old Testament illustration of sanctification. We then defined sanctification. I want to continue on that subject of Philippians chapter 2. We saw the desire of God there to replace our minds with the mind of His Son, the Lord Jesus. And you know, the battle is in the mind I lived many years a wicked man. Uh, you'll see my testimony track on the table back there from the Grateful Dead to Gratefully Alive. I was a hippie and uh, lived a life of shame and disgrace. And uh, you know those things that, that you put in your mind, it takes a lifetime to try to eradicate them. And uh, only through the power of the Holy Spirit and the transformation of sanctification can there really be victory and accomplishment over those things. Uh, so we saw the, the Lord's desire to replace our minds in uh, sanctification. Now what I'd like to do is uh, look over here in John 17 and uh, just trying to uh, establish very quickly the fact that all through the New Testament we see this desire of God to sanctify us. In John 17, of course, Jesus is praying here and we know that Jesus was praying for the disciples but he also prayed for those who would hear the word through the disciples and, uh, you know, as it has often been said, and I happen to concur, I believe that Jesus was praying for us. He was praying for the disciples, those whom they would reach, those whom they would reach, and so on and so forth. And, of course, we know that he also ever lives to make intercession for us. And he is our mediator. There's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And uh, so the Lord Jesus here is praying. And watch what he prays in, in verse number 17 of John 17. I know this is a very familiar passage of Scripture. We often talk about it in context of the importance of the Word of God. But I just wanted you to look at it in the context of sanctification. Jesus' prayer for you and I, of course the disciples, those who will be saved through their ministry and down to us, is sanctify them through thy truth. Thy Word is truth. And so the Father's seen in the book of Philippians desiring our mind to be replaced with the mind of Jesus, which is a lifelong process of sanctification here. The Son now is praying, and His desire for our life is that we would be transformed and sanctified through the precious Word of God. Let's pray together, and we'll jump in this morning. Father, thank You for the precious Word of God. Help me, Lord, to preach and teach. Lord, not something that would just be uh, an exciting message, or one with a bunch of stories, or illustrations, but Father, just some meat, some helpful insights, some good word of God that would change us, uh, get us where we're at today and help us down the road a little bit further towards the image of your dear son. I pray you'd get all the glory from it. I pray if there'd be one here that's not saved, they would be saved. And dear God, I pray for those of us that are saved that you would ring our bell today and speak to our hearts. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Now, we know that God desires sanctification. We see that Jesus does. Take your Bible, go to 1 Thessalonians with me, chapter number 4. Again, just going through the, the thought that in the New Testament, the Lord speaks about sanctification oftentimes more uh, than we like to preach about it. Amen? It covers far more material in the New Testament uh, than would be indicated oftentimes by our preaching. 1 Thessalonians, chapter number 4. May I just say as a personal testimony, I absolutely love doctrine. I would rather have doctrine preached to me and rather preach doctrine uh, than anything. I mean, just the simple, plain, expository preaching of God's Word, uh, just line upon line, precept upon precept. Uh, I got weary of stories and uh, too many illustrations many years ago. Uh, you know, Spurgeon said, 
That an illustration is nothing more than a window that allows light to shine in on the truth of God's word that is being preached. But in our generation, illustrations have taken messages over. One famous preacher, not far from here, I won't mention his name, uh, made a statement years ago, pick a verse and holler for a while. And sadly, many of those that were under his ministry took that as their ministry operandi, modus operandi, and uh, spent their ministry picking a verse and hollering for an hour. And what it's produced is shallow believers. It's produced people who are doing what they're doing in the arm of the flesh and not uh, as a spirit as as a product of a spirit-filled life and a walk with God. Uh, Here we are in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Notice, if you would, verse number 1. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you have received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. I'll tell you what, that verse just excites me because... I'm finding out that now the Apostle Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Ghost, he's going to tell me how I can please God. He's going to tell me how I can please God and how I can please God even more and more. And that's something I want to do. I want to stand before the Lord someday. And I just want Him to be pleased with my life. Amen. And I know that if I'm faithful to Him, if I submit to Him and yield to Him, and He can use me for His glory, then I'll be, I'll be rewarded for that. But I want God to be pleased with me. Well, how do you be pleased with God? Watch this, for you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Somebody said, well, I don't know what the will of God is. I understand there's really two aspects of the will of God. There is a specific will of God for every believer. Those of us that are saved by the grace of God, we're not going to have the same spouse. Amen. We're not Mormons. Amen. But anyway, uh, we're not going to have the same job. We're not going to live in the same place. We're not going to have the same giftings, the same ministries. Those type things are specific to every believer. Then we also understand there are general principles that God has laid down in His Word that apply to every believer. First of all, there's a will of God for the lost. That is that they would come to Christ and be saved by the grace of God. Then God's will is revealed for every one of us. Every one of us are supposed to be scripturally deep water baptized into a local New Testament Baptist church. I believe that's clear. Every one of us is supposed to find our gifts to yield to God, to to share the gospel. Well, there's something here that is for every believer, everyone that is saved by the grace of God. The Bible says this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Mark it down, my friend. God wants to sanctify every one of us. That is his perfect will for my life. So if I'm supposed to learn how to please God more and more, then I've got to understand what this is all about. I've got to learn what sanctification is. And here's where we've dropped the ball. Teaching specifically what the elements of sanctification are and the formula for it and how to really understand how to become sanctified incrementally every single day of my life. We're going to look at that, Lord willing, in this message. This is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication. We won't get into that right now for sake of time. But the truth is nothing will wreck your sanctification process faster than deviant sexual sins of the flesh. There's nothing that will just absolutely wreak havoc and immediately stop your sanctification and propel you the other direction than wicked ungodly sins of the flesh. So it's very clear that God God knows that. He's all wise. By the way, just in passing, the book of Proverbs is as much about the strange woman and adultery as it is about any other truth in that book, including the, the truth of wisdom. There are entire, uh, entire uh, chapters in the book of Proverbs that are all dedicated to avoiding the strange woman and sexual sins of the flesh. And so, my friend, you understand sanctification's got an enemy. It's our wicked, ungodly flesh. But notice verse 4. Not just that you should know that you should be sanctified. See, I can stand up here today and say, every one of us is supposed to be sanctified and everyone can say amen. Every one of us, that's God's will for us. And and, and I say, every one of us should know what sanctification is. And so now we can quote the definition. Well, that's still not good enough. We're supposed to go a little bit further now. Watch what verse 4 says. Here's the perfect will of God. That every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. It's not just understanding that I must be sanctified, that I need to be sanctified, or even what the definition of sanctification is, but the perfect will of God is for me to be sanctified. And in order to do that, verse 4 starts with the word that, connecting those two statements, those two verses. I'm supposed to know how to possess my own vessel in sanctification and honor. 
And so everyone that is saved by the grace of God is supposed to know how to become sanctified each and every single day, more and more and more, becoming like the Lord Jesus. Okay, now watch this. God said he wants your mind replaced with the mind of Christ. God wants us to be sanctified. Jesus prayed for us to be sanctified and become like him. That's the prayer of Jesus. Here now the apostle Paul is teaching and he says that it's the perfect will of God that every one of us should know how to possess our vessel in sanctification and honor. Let's go a little further. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. I'm saying everything I'm saying to majorly just show you this point. God's pretty serious about this subject, and we're very lighthearted and flippant about it. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse number 23. The Bible said, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. Now watch, this is the desire of the Apostle Paul, that every one of us would be sanctified wholly. Now, that's not the word holy, H-O-L-Y, in reference to the attribute of God's holiness, Uh, which is a communicable attribute to some degree we can uh, be holy. But notice, my friend, it is holy. It is completely. So now the Bible tells us this sanctification, God wants a complete surrender to this and a complete change and sanctification in my life. He says, I pray God. So now the prayer of Paul is this, that your whole spirit and soul and body. By the way, that doesn't mean your whole spirit And then part of your soul and part of your body, it means your whole spirit and your whole soul and your whole body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so there is a desire here of the the Apostle Paul. It is the prayer of the Apostle Paul. And therefore, let of the Holy Spirit, inspired of the Holy Spirit of God, that we would not just be partially sanctified, but God wants a complete sanctification and a total surrender to the sanctification process. Now, you say that's all fine and dandy, but what is the process? I'm glad you asked that. Amen? Take your Bible, if you would, and flip back to Ephesians chapter number 4 with me. I'm going to try to park here in Ephesians 4 and just exposit a couple of verses of Scripture here in Ephesians chapter number 4 and show you the steps of sanctification. Now, let me just try to preface this very quickly. There are three steps to sanctification. This may be elementary to some of you, and yet some of us don't apply it. Some of us know it, don't apply it. Some of us just don't know it. Some of us don't agree with it. Well, the Bible's here to tell us what the truth is, convince us that we need to be submitted to it, amen. Show us how it all works together. God's book is just a manual. It's perfect, amen. And so watch this. There's three steps to sanctification. These are three things that must be done every single day in every believer's life. Now, in reference to you and I, I have to go through these three things every day. If, I, if I'm going to be incrementally sanctified to the degree every day, that little bit of change today that God wants me to have, then today I must be in this process, okay? So there's a three-step process, a three-step formula, and God expects us to do these every single day. What are the three? We're going to walk through these, and as we go through these, I'll try to point some things out that will be helpful. Notice we'll read, uh, first of all, let's read verses 22 through 24, then we'll come back and look at them in depth. Verse 22, the Bible says that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lusts, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And verse 24, that you put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Let's look at the first one. This is something that must be done every day if we are to uh, possess our vessel in sanctification and honor. Here's how you do it. So these are things that must be done. Number one, we must put off. Very simply, we must put off. Every believer, every single day of his life needs to come to a place once again of submittedness and brokenness before God. My friend, repentance is not just a once in a while happenstance. It's not just that which brings me into the kingdom of God and the family of God. But repentance, my friend, is a lifestyle attitude. It is a constant, contrite, broken heart and spirit before God. What does it mean to put off? Well, here's what it means. Let me give you three words that will help you understand this. Putting off is this. Repentance, confession, and forsaking. 
repentance, confession, and forsaking. So every believer, every day, should come to God and ask for forgiveness, repenting, confessing, and having a heart that is aimed at forsaking the sins that happened in my life, whether it's the previous 24 hours, the previous 12 hours, the previous 6 hours, whatever the case might be. But mark it down, sanctification cannot take place unless there is a constant putting away and putting off of sin. We must keep short accounts with God. Our sin can very quickly separate between us and our God. By the way, if a man goes into adultery, a woman goes into liquor, whatever the case is, somebody drops out of church, you can mark it down. My friend, they quit repenting. They quit apologizing to God. They quit confessing sin somewhere along the line, my friend. This keeps us from shipwrecking spiritually, but the Bible calls it a putting off. Now, what exactly are we putting off? Notice quickly, Verse 22, the Bible said that you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man. Newsflash, you've got an old man walking around with you. Paul calls it a tent or a tabernacle that is just going to drop someday as his soul and spirit rise up to God. But as long as I am in this flesh, I am going to battle this flesh. And you'll notice it's the former conversation. Let me just let you in on a little plot of the devil. The devil knows what you used to like. He knows what you loved when you were a filthy, rotten sinner in the world. And he will spend the rest of your life trying to push those things back into your life. Now here's the biggest lie of the devil. Let's take music for an example because I know that he's used this on me. The devil will come to me after a while and say, well, you know what? You've been living for right for a long time. You've been preaching for a long time. And you know, that music really is not going to enslave you or get put you in bondage anymore. Certainly you can listen to some of that and that's not going to hurt you. You see, my friend, the devil, the Bible tells us when he's introduced in scripture he is more subtle than any beast of the field that which the Lord God had made my friend he'll use every tactic he possibly can to get you back with the old girlfriend you know it's amazing that I saw an older couple in their late 60s and they were both thought it was fun they were on Facebook trying to find their former sweethearts in their childhood in their teen years and I thought man that is a recipe for disaster and shipwrecking a marriage but you understand my friend the devil's constantly trying to say, your old life's okay, it wasn't really that bad, and get you to go back into it. So the Bible says, every day we're going to be faced with those sins and tendencies of the old man, and so therefore, we must put them off. The repentance, confession, and forsaking. Take your Bible very quickly and go to 1 John with me. Very familiar passage, but I want to look at it in context of what we're talking about here. You say, what does that mean, forsaken? Well, may I just say this. Within the definition of true confession is the idea of forsaking. You don't come to God and say, you know, Lord, I'm, I'd like you to forgive me of this. And, you know, in the back of my mind, I'll probably be doing it again by the end of the day. I wonder, my friend, how many of those prayers actually get through. I wonder how many people are actually really getting, uh, getting their sins under the blood and confessing sin to God when, when they have this attitude, I can just confess it and do it. See, that's how it was when I was a Catholic. You know why I went to a Mass on Saturday evening and went into the confessional booth? And it went in that little chicken coop back there with the guy on one side dressed like uh, Mama calls himself Papa, amen. And I'd tell him through the little screen there uh, about some of the things that I had done. But you know why I went on Saturday night? Because if I got them done on Saturday night, basically the slate was clean. I had my license to go out and party right after it was over. Mass would end on Saturday evening. By 8.10 I was running down the street hopping in the back seat of a car with a case of Bud Dumber as a teenager. Why? Because I didn't have the concept of what real confession is. But believers ought to understand that when we're going to God and saying, Lord, I'm sorry, there needs to be a heart that is bent at never doing that sin again. I remember when I first got right with God, I I, I surrendered everything to God. I, I surrendered to be a preacher. And the very next day I was walking down a set of concrete steps, smacked my head on the steps. I'll be honest with you. I was shocked because some words of that old man came out. And my head hurt really bad. But you know the biggest shock to my system was that day? I honestly thought that when I surrendered to God, I was never going to sin again. Well, I learned the hard way. I was going to battle my flesh the rest of my life. I found it out that day. I didn't understand. Nobody had ever taught me that doctrine. But I realized, obviously, I'm still going to sin, even as somebody who's attempting to fully surrender. But you understand, my friend, even though I misunderstood sin, 
sinless perfection and, and the doctrine of sanctification that day, I still want to try to maintain this thought and this belief in my life that I really never want to sin against Him again. And I pray that God would put that spirit and desire in my heart today. I know I'm not going to join the Wednesday Night Water Walkers Club. I won't be raising anybody from the dead like Benny Hen said he did. I'm not going to be perfect in this life, but you understand my friend, I can have a heart that is aimed at never sinning against my Savior again. And that truly is what this is about. Every day when we put off, we're saying, Lord, I'm sorry. Dear God, please forgive me and give me grace and strength to not do that sin again. And when the heart is aimed that way, God begins to move us in this sanctification process going forward. Notice if you would, 1 John chapter 1, verse number 9. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, there's two things I'm glad of. First of of all, I'm glad he's faithful. Amen? God never looks at a contrite, broken heart and spirit and just says, you know, I'm only going to do that on Wednesdays now. Oh, no, my friend. Every time the God of heaven sees in me a willingness to get right with him, he's pictured in the story of the prodigal, not just standing on the porch, but when he sees me coming towards him, he's running out towards me. Amen. And he's not just there to forgive, but praise God, the blessings can come back in my life as I repent. We see the robe and the ring and all the things the father did in the story of the prodigal, but he is faithful and thank God for that. Amen. Or we'd be in a heap of trouble. But the Bible also says and he's just to forgive us our sins. You know why that is? Because the devil always comes and says, don't you go confessing that. He ain't going to forgive you anyway. You've done it too much. There's no way God can forgive you. He's just not just and right if he would do that. And yet God says, I am perfectly just in my economy, in my courtroom in heaven. It is just for me to continue to forgive your sins as long as you have a repentant heart and repentant spirit but watch this he says he's faithful and just to forgive our sins but he also says and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness see what's that mean it means he cleanses us from all unrighteousness that's pretty deep amen What's that mean? I believe this, my friend. I believe the Bible is teaching us that when somebody truly comes to God as a believer and gets their sins under the blood and gets their fellowship and restoration restored to God, maybe they've been in bad sin, whatever the case might be. The Bible said if we're really broken and contrite and we really repent and confess our sin to God, that he cleanses us from all unrighteousness. I'd like to say today that there's probably never been a time when I confess to God when I remembered everything that I'd done wrong in the last 24 hours. I'm probably doing things wrong this morning. Don't even realize it. My friend, we are just imperfect and sinful and fallen people. And this old flesh has not been saved. Amen. I've been spiritually circumcised and cut away from this old rotten body. Why? Because it's tendencies and wickedness and filthiness. They're all still alive and well and right there with me. But I'm saying, my friend, there is a prospect here to be filled with the Spirit of God. When we truly go every morning, we're starting on a clean slate if we repent and we confess and put things off God washes away all those sins and we can start fresh and new with the God of heaven doesn't mean we have to remember every little sin that we've done in all 24 hour period and name every single one of them to get them confessed we need to go to God and pour our heart out and confess what we can remember and then he just cleanses us from all unrighteousness I say that to say this and I know I'm speaking fast but listen as we begin to get in this process of three things The first one is putting off. We're not only getting back in the process where we're heading towards uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and becoming like him, which is God's goal, but because we get this fellowship restored back to God and because he cleanses us from all unrighteousness, there's immediate reviving that begins to take place in my life. And so you understand the process of personal revival is the same exact road to sanctification. If we would apply these three things, we would sense a revival of the presence of the Spirit of God in our lives, and we would also experience a slow but sure transformation into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, that's just a byproduct of sanctification. Amen? The main goal is the image of Jesus, but isn't it neat how God just throws out some handfuls on purpose? Amen? I also get to experience a personal revival. I also get to experience the good presence of God as I'm being changed into the image of His Son, and all of that is just overflow and extra blessings. Amen? And so, uh, very simply put, if you'll go back to Ephesians 4 with me, 
There's three steps to the sanctification process. The first one is putting off. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Do you put off? A Christian that never repents is a Christian that never grows. Mark it down. A Christian who's never wrong, never apologizes to God, never says, woe is me, I'm undone, never has to fall on his face, never has to visit an altar, is a Christian that is out of the sanctification process and you cannot possibly go forward until you go down on your knees. I'm not going to hit you, amen? I just look wild, amen? My wife's a snake handler, I'm just teasing, amen? <clears throat> All right, two people got that, amen? That's something they do down there in Kentucky or something like that, Amen. I'm not brave enough to be a snake handler. If I was religious enough, I wouldn't be brave enough. Amen? <clears throat> but the truth is, God. so God wants you in this process. You're supposed to know. And I say, why do I have to learn this? Why do I got to memorize this? Why is this something that I ought to actually mark in my Bible? Because you're supposed to know how to possess your own vessel in sanctification and in honor. Not just define it. Not just say it's important. But get in the process and actually do this every single day. Secondly... There's a second part, and this has to be done daily also, and that is put in. Put off, put in. You say, what do you mean put in? Watch verse 23. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Now, what is that renewing of the mind? Here it is. I'm going to give you three words for this as well. Read, meditate, and memorize. Read, meditate, and memorize. So there's three steps daily. If I go through these three, the Bible promises me that God is going to be working and transforming my life. I'll show you much more as we go through this process. But let's talk about number two, renewing the mind. Let's look at some scripture. Hold your finger here. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Very familiar verse of scripture, but it just fits so perfectly in this doctrine. <laughs> I'm a firm believer in here a little and there a little, as the Lord has commanded us. And uh, my favorite commentary is the book next door, amen, in the Bible. I just flip backwards or forwards, and it's just easy enough. I found, by the way, that after many years of uh, going through Bible colleges and being around a lot of different preachers, I found that many of the commentaries that have been promoted to us were Presbyterians or Methodists and uh, so on and so forth, Plymouth Brethren, and, and I just don't like their doctrine very much, thank you very much. But uh, anyway, the Bible does a whole lot better job if you'll just use the Word of God more. But notice here, uh, as, a, as a great proof text, say, what do you mean I've got to put in? Well, the Bible says put off and then renew in the spirit of your mind and then put on. So here it is. Notice 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. It is read, meditate, memorize. Putting in the word of God. The Bible says, but we all. What's that mean in the Greek preacher? It means all of y'all. Amen. With open face. That's with nothing else in our heart and mind. With a clear slate. Beholding as in a glass. James identifies that glass as the mirror of the word of God. Every one of us is looking with nothing else in our mind. We're intently gazing into the scripture. And what do we see as we look? We're beholding the glory of the Lord. God said, I'm going to show you my son. And oh my, does he show his son. His son's in the Garden of Eden. His son was there with Abraham. Uh, my friend, listen to me. His son is all through the Old Testament. His son is in every chapter, every verse. There's a scarlet thread. It is all about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's asked, what is that book all about? It's about his son. What is grace all about? It is his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Amen. Uh, what's life all about? To know Christ. Amen. And to serve him and to love him and to be saved by him and so notice what your bible says here uh, we look into uh, the the word of god and god reveals to us the person of christ his attributes his love his grace his mercy and the bible says as we do this something begins to happen that is beyond our touch and reach that has to be a work of god we are changed into the same image God shows you who his son is and then a transformation begins to take place when we go with open face looking for Jesus in the word. By the way, let me give you some advice. If you don't do this already, every time that book is cracked, it takes a moment to utter 
dear God, and from the heart, utter, dear God, open my heart and teach me and show me your son in this wonderful book. Instruct me. And I believe God hears that prayer and it makes a world of difference. There are those trying to get through their Bible chart and there are those who are trying to meet God every day. And I'm going to tell you what, you try to meet God, you'll find God. Amen? There are those who are trying to accomplish something to tell others and there are those who realize we can't accomplish anything until we've met with God and talked with God. And so it's important that we go see Jesus, then we're changed into the same image. What you see is what you become, and watch this. When's it happen? From glory to glory. There's the process. That speaks right to the sanctification process or progression of sanctification. How does he change us into Jesus? From glory to glory. From faith to faith. From Bible reading session to Bible reading session. From sermon to sermon. From Sunday school class to Sunday school class. From verse of memorization to verse of memorization. It is daily. It is monthly. It is annually. But it's got to keep going. It is a constant process. And that's what glory to glory denotes. But watch this part. Even as by the Spirit of the Lord. He said, you promised me if I get into the sanctification process, God said he'd do something. Where is that? You just read it. Amen? Because what begins to happen as you obey and get in this process is there's a work that is done by the Spirit of Almighty God. We're not talking about a rededication. I'm not talking about I went to an altar and I just told God I was gonna. You know, it's a great day in our life we quit telling God we're gonna. We say, dear God, there's nothing I could do. Would you please use me and do a work in me? I can't even walk without you holding my hand. This mentality of getting guts and grit and getting tough and being a macho man for Jesus. We why don't we junk all that garbage? Just face it, man. We're fallen creatures. If we don't have the Spirit of God flowing through us, there's nothing we can accomplish. I'm so sick of, you know, going. I was at a camp one time. And I won't tell you what kind of camp. Then you'll know for sure what it was. But they had all these big shot preachers. You know, they taught the teens all week in this big old camp. I happened to be there as one of the instructors and teachers. And they, they taught these kids, you just got to get tough to live for God. Tell you why some of you all don't live for God. You ain't got no grits and you ain't got no guts. I'm going to tell you what. There's a lot of kids there that probably could have whooped the guy that was saying that. It has nothing to do with grits and guts. It's not what I can produce in my flesh. It is the Spirit of God resting upon me and working through me and in me. And this is a work of sanctification that only the Spirit of God can do in my life. And so listen, you've got to put off every day. Do you put off? Then we've got to renew our mind. Take your Bible. Go back to Romans chapter 12 with me. Man, this scripture is quoted once a church service. Amen all over America. It's really, really popular. But the truth is, when you take it and you lay it right down inside of this major doctrine in the New Testament, you begin to understand it better. I'll read verse 1, but that's not what I want to focus on. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies... A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. But watch this. <clears throat> and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed. You're either, look, today, everyone in here is either being conformed or transformed. The devil's either squeezing you into the mold of the world, where you're acting like them, smell like them, talk like them. I've got about that much confidence in a Christianity where somebody says I've got saved in between swigs of beer. They've still got their ponytail and they've still got their big old floppy earrings hanging out and they're not ashamed of their tattoos and nothing really seems to have changed about them. My dear friend, you're being conformed or transformed. The Bible doesn't want us conformed to the world. God says be transformed. How are we going to do that? All of muster up a bunch of strength. Oh no. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We cannot transform ourselves without the Word of God. We don't just say read the Word of God because we want you to obey certain rules. We tell you to read the Word of God because the only real transformative power that we have is from the Word of God and the Holy Spirit applying this to our hearts and lives. By the renewing of the mind. Watch this. Here's another byproduct of being in the sanctification process and another handful on purpose that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we're to put in. We're to put off to put in. Put what in? Put the word of God in. That's the only thing that can renew us and transform us and sanctify us. But watch this. When I do this, I get to prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. 
I happen to be a biblical literalist. So what does that mean? It means that right now as I'm standing here, I believe my hands are laying on the very pulpit in all of the universe that the God of the universe wants me to hold on to. I believe God is having me to preach the exact message, and I am preaching the exact message that the God of all creation laid upon my heart. I believe I married the right woman. I believe I'm where I'm supposed to be today. I'm going to tell you what, a byproduct of getting the sanctification process is yes, uh, I'm growing towards Christ. I'm putting things off. My mind is being renewed, but also I am proving what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That is a handful on purpose and an overflow blessing. You can pillow your head at night when you know you're in the perfect will of God. You've been out of God's will, try to find sleep or peace or joy. There is none. I'm going to tell you what, if you're out of God's will, you ought to feel like a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. Amen? But praise God, in His will and in the sanctification process, there is a joy I can prove in my own heart and life. I am following God. I'm going to tell you what, that makes for a fulfilled life. Amen? That's all God requires of me. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Pick up your cross and follow me that we should follow in His step. That's the will of God. So I can prove that but I can't do it if I'm not being sanctified. If you're not being sanctified, don't tell me that you know what God's will is. You're not reading your Bible. You're not praying. You're not repenting every day, putting off and putting in. How can you possibly know God's will? The only place we can know of is through a work of the Spirit of God and the precious Word of God. We don't get a word of knowledge like the false charismatics. Amen? We don't get an extra book like the Mormons. We don't get to read our crystal ball like the liberals do and call 1-900-PSYCHIC and all that mess. We have one source of truth and that is the Word of God. And the only reason I can say to you that I'm standing on the very spot on the planet where God wants me to is because I've been in the holy place I've read his word I've depended upon him I've excluded myself from the equation and God's will is revealed to those who are yielded to him are you renewing your mind if not you're not being sanctified John 17 17 Jesus said sanctify them through that through thy truth watch as thy word is truth and so Jesus prayed God changed them into me, but I want you to use the word of God to do it. Amen. Take your Bible now. Go to Ephesians 5. Yet more scripture. That backs this up. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5, if you will notice verse number 25 with me. Still in the putting in, amen, or renewing the mind. The Bible says, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Why? That he might sanctify. Stop look up here for a second. I could really spend a lot of time on this, but I won't. Somebody's going to ask you, why did Jesus die on the cross? And we're so man-centered in our theology, just so I wouldn't have to burn in hell. You know, we were even created. Yeah, God wants to keep us out of hell, but it's for his glory. Amen? But, but, but he also, he didn't just die on the cross to save. In fact, it doesn't even say that in this text. In this text, it emphasizes something else. It's not just a fire escape from hell, but he, he, he died on the cross to save us that he might change us into his image and use us so we can glorify him. That he might sanctify and cleanse it. Amen. What's that? That's the church. How's he do that? With the washing of water. By the word. I tempt anybody, challenge anybody, plead with anybody, show me one verse of scripture in the Bible that says that he sanctifies and cleanses through the special music. Where he sanctifies and cleanses through the offering, uh, the offertory. Um, again, I'm not trying to beat a dead horse, although we need to kill the thing. Amen? This whole mentality that preaching is somehow, we just kind of slip it in, you know, so we don't lose anybody. You'd be shocked if I, I'd stand up here and name to you independent Baptist preachers, so-called, of 10, 15 years ago, that are right now stepping headlong right into the emergent church movement. 
And they've changed their philosophy of ministry and their theology is changing and music is becoming a god. And brother, I'm telling you, it's not getting better, it's getting worse. The rock concerts and all the garbage is coming in. That's not how God sanctifies and cleanses and washes His precious bride. He does it through the preached Word of Almighty God. He does it through the memorization, the reading, the, uh, the teaching of God's Word. It has to be the Spirit of God and the Word of God, my friend, that washes us. You see... When I preach, I, I sweat. Amen? That's pretty obvious. And the, more, the older I get, and the more gravity starts taking its toll, amen, the more I sweat. Amen? And I bet you're probably hoping I get a bath this afternoon. I'm going to do my dead level best to do that, just for you. Amen? But the truth is, you know how God washes you, washes me spiritually? We could, if you're coming to church, it's like taking a spiritual shower. Amen? I mean, we come in filthy. All the things of the world are sticking to us and, and we don't even realize that we picked up their attitude and, and their ingratitude and, and unthankfulness and just a filthy heart and a filthy mind. And my friend, God can take the precious word of God and he washes us, amen, through that wonderful word of God. But let me say this. Aren't you glad I took a shower before I came to church this morning? Amen. I'm glad for the preaching of the word. And man, we obviously need it or God wouldn't have designed church this way. But I'm supposed to pull myself up to the table. I'm supposed to know how to possess my own vessel in sanctification and in honor. Do you understand? That's what the Bible's talking about. The washing of the water by the word. So there's a three-step process. And there's many, many blessings along the way. But as we're being conformed to Christ, we've got to be in the process. We must put off every day through repentance, confession, forsaking. We must put in every day that is renewing the mind through reading, meditating, and memorizing. And then thirdly, look over at Ephesians 4 with me. And notice verse 24. Lastly, we must put on the new man. I just like the sound of that, don't you? Amen. It's almost like here's the completion. Amen. Here's where God really does a work. You put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Let's look at that for a moment. Put on. Amen. That's something that we must do. But notice this. It's the new man. Now that's all nice and dandy, but what's a new man look like? The scripture explains. Look further. It says, which after God. And then it says, is created. Now watch this. We are literally being recreated in the image of God and God's son. So, I mean, literally, that's what the new man, that's what's happening to us. So we got to understand in our mind, I'm supposed to appear as Christ. Amen. I'm not talking about being a 33 and a half year old male Jew. Amen. Or anything like that. What I'm talking about is the consciousness that as people see me, they're seeing a glimpse of and a representation of something they need to see desperately. And that is that there is a God. I remember my neighbor, Bessie. She was a spirit-filled woman. She was in her 80s. Me and my family, when she was even in her 70s, Late 70s, she was a spirit-filled woman. We'd be beating each other half to death, a bunch of lost Catholics, just clubbing each other, killing each other. And I remember Bessie, she'd just open the door and come in. We had a common wall, a big row house, uh, you know, block of row houses. And she'd come in, think we were coming through the wall, thinking somebody was going to get killed. Sister would be screaming bloody murder, you know. And always be somebody bleeding, going to the hospital, just wild. But she'd walk in the door. And I'm telling you, we'd look up and see Bessie. It was like, <clears throat> tension. Say, why? I wasn't afraid of that frail little old lady, but I was afraid of her God. And I was as lost as a ball in tall weeds, but I knew there was a God because she lived. And I knew that that woman had been with God. I couldn't explain it. I couldn't quote you a verse of scripture. But when she walked in, there was such a real presence and reflection that there was a deity and a holiness somewhere and a standard of right and wrong because it was her life. It wasn't just her belief. It was how she lived. It was a part of her. And I'm going to tell you what, my friend. It was undeniable that there was a God. But I meant that. What are you trying to say? That's what Christ expects with us. You see, my friend, we put on that new man, which is after God is created. We're being created in the image of God. Man, how are we representing him? Then also it says after God. I believe there could be just another application that we're longing after God. And we also have a desire to be like God. But I hope that you put the childish things away. 
Hope that you all, all of us are at a place in our life where we want to be like God. I don't have to be cool. I don't desire to be popular. I don't care what person votes this or says that about me. That makes no difference. It's of no import whatsoever because I am attempting to be after God. I want to be like Him. I want to be recreated like Him. But now watch this. What's the new man? He's recreated in righteousness and true holiness. Right there, my friend, does away with about nine-tenths of what they call churches in America today because they're concerned very little with righteousness that is right living according to the book being first. Not fellowship first, not tolerance first, not parties and, and, and all kinds of shenanigans first, but truth first. And it's better to be divided over truth than united in error and confusion. And so the Bible tells us here that we're to be recreated in righteousness and true holiness. Very little of Christianity today wants a standard of holiness. I don't understand it. How they cannot see that rock and roll music, flashing lights, dancers on the platform, women preachers, and all the other shenanigans and garbage they have brought in, including the drama and the coffee houses, how they cannot see that that is unholy and it has nothing to do with Christ and His purposes and His truth and His Word and His Son. It just absolutely boggles the mind. But let's just separate ourselves from that. We must be recreated in righteousness and true holiness. Now listen, true holiness also denotes that there's a ditch on the other side. You understand, true holiness denotes that there's also false holiness. Let me tell you what false holiness is. Meditating and trying our very best to make the, the platter clean and the cup clean. Amen? And inside not having a walk with God. How many people do we know that have a false holiness? That, here's what they believe about sanctification and holy living. If I dress right carry the right Bible, say amen at the right places, promote my preacher, pat him on the back, uh, do what I'm supposed to do, go to every function, that I am a true holy believer. And my friend, have we not seen thousands of people do all of those things and then it comes out that they're in the worst immoral sin that you could possibly imagine? There is a false holiness. The total sum of a man is not in his standards or what he wears or what he doesn't wear or the Bible he uses or doesn't use. Understand, all those things are very important and all those things have their place. But the reason I do all of those is because I'm being sanctified. God's got control. The Holy Spirit is in me. He's working in me. You understand how, why do you say that? Because a lost person can hold the same standards as a saved person. But there's one thing a lost person can't do. They can't do that because they love Jesus Christ. They can't do that as an outgrowth of the fact that they've been walking with God and they're soaking wet with the Holy Ghost and they're completely submitted to Him and they're living for His glory. Oh, my friend, only one group of people can have that true holiness and that's believers in Jesus Christ who have been truly saved by the grace of God. You understand, if you come here and you fit in with everybody else, if you've not been born again, you are going to split the gates of hell wide open and burn for eternity without God. It is not in what you do on the outside. Say, why do you do it all? Because I love Jesus Christ and I've been saved. Because I'm submitted to Him and His precious Word. This is not a Christian costume. This is worn because I want to wear my best in the presence of a king. I don't just use this Bible, uh, my friend, to try to impress somebody. I use it because I believe God gave one Bible. God preserved one set of texts. And God's believers have always used the same text. And God has preserved this line of manuscript. I do it for the glory of God. My friend, I don't go here and do go there just not to impress somebody. Somebody. I do it because I want to please the Lord Jesus Christ. There has to be a true holiness. And that's what the new man looks like. He is living his life because he's submitted and he's being sanctified. And he's filled with the Spirit. And all he wants to do is please Jesus Christ and be recreated in righteousness and in true holiness. Oh, my friend, are you in this process? You might say, well, preacher... That's all fine and everything, but you know, there's only a few places in Scripture that talks about that. Take your Bible, go to Colossians 3, and I'll show you a, a dovetail Scripture, which I absolutely love. 
When the Lord says, here's one line, here's another, here's another line, here's another line, they just go perfect together. Okay, so Paul's preaching to the church at Ephesus. He's writing letters. Okay, so now we have the book of Colossians. And I want you to note this, that Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said all the churches need the same thing. Amen? By the way, that's why they were to copy the letters circulate the letters, pass the letters out. That's why they became the canon of our scripture because it's not just good for one church. But I want you to notice in the context of Paul's ministry, what he's teaching one church, he's teaching them all because every one of us needs us. This is not some passing thing where Paul just saw one problem in one church and tried to fix it. That's not what it is. It's not just some discipline issue in the church of Corinth that may not have existed at Antioch. This is a teaching for every believer right here. Watch Colossians 3. He said, as you also learned, uh, I'm sorry, I'm in Colossians 1, Colossians 3, verse 7. In the, time, in the which time you also walked <laughs> when you lived in them. Where is that? That's the old man. But now you also put off, there's step one, all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off. The old man with his deeds. And I put on the new man. Okay, there's putting on. So we have putting off and putting on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Now watch this. Here's putting off. Putting off is, dear God, my feet were in wrong paths. Please forgive me. Putting in is, dear God, now show me what path I'm supposed to walk in. Show me the correct path in the Scripture. Amen? And then that new man is taking the Scripture, not closing the book and leaving it at the house, but taking the truth God has shown you, tucking it in, and saying, Oh God, I'm dependent upon your Spirit now. Moment by moment, let me live in that new path and walk as the new man. And when you get to Colossians, here's what it says. The, what's a new man look like? Okay, I don't see the middle part there. I see the putting off and I see the putting on there in verse number 10. But did you notice he's renewed in the knowledge? Okay, in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. So in other words, this new man is what he did. He said, okay, God, you've given me the knowledge, so there's your middle part. But I didn't just, uh, I didn't just read the scripture, mark off a block. Now my life is renewed in it. What it says is applied. What it says I live this reflects that. Amen? That's the new man. You say, well, what's that mean, preacher? It means the same thing he said in Ephesians. God also said in Colossians. <clears throat> My friend, again, it's throughout the entire New Testament. Take your Bible, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. My prayer is this today. If somebody wakes up in the morning... And this thought flashes in their mind. Okay, today's my chance. I'm going to put off today. I'm going to put in today. And I'm going to put on today. Amen? And we will begin to make sure that we very carefully and meticulously stay in this process so that we grow to become what God desires for us to be. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verse 16. For the which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish, now this is a total, uh, just a, a, a commentary on the whole process. Our outward man perishes, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. So there's an expectation that day by day, there's your sanctification process again. How does it get renewed? Putting off, putting in, putting on. Putting off, putting in, putting on. And yes, the outward man's perishing. You know, I won't say nothing about, you know, the way we all look now since I haven't seen you in several years. Amen. Bro, Glenn, he looks, like a, he looks like one of those mummies. He hasn't changed a bit, like plastic or something. Amen. I don't know what he's drinking or eating, but i got to get some of it. Amen. But the truth is, my friend, that, that's what the Bible's talking about. This old man, it's going to the grave. Amen. But the inward man is renewed day by day. That's God's expectation. It's his expectation to the church of Corinth. It's his expectation to the church of Ephesus. It's his expectation to the church of Colossae. It's, his, it's God's expectation. That's Jesus' prayer. That you'd have the, that, that you'd be sanctified. It's God's desire that we'd have the mind of Jesus. It's Paul's prayer and Paul's desire for total, complete sanctification. If we're not being sanctified and going forward, we're in sin. 
To stand still is sin. It is. It's against and contrary to God's desire and wish and plan in the Bible. If we're not going forward and yielding, we're supposed to be growing, folks. We're supposed to be becoming more and more like Jesus Christ every single day of our life, okay? Now, let me just mention a few things real quickly. Obviously, if this process is short-circuited, then the sanctification process, we don't go forward at all, amen? Let me just close with an illustration that I believe might help you to understand this, okay? I've got a a, a preacher friend. He's an older man. He's got a, he kind of retired from what he was doing, evangelistic work and so forth, and uh, he, he, him and his wife, they decided to get a facility that would, would help them to go just interim churches and do whatever. He had a different type of ministry, and he wanted to just be able to go be a blessing. So they wanted to get a facility they could stay in for long periods of time if they needed to. And so what he did was he went to a junkyard, and he got himself an old 71 MCI bus. And uh, now why did he do that, preacher? Because although it was at a junkyard all rusted out and stinky, he saw what it could be. Now, I'm a store-bought RV guy, okay? I bought mine at the store when it breaks. Hello, store? Um, I mean, honestly, I'm just not a diesel mechanic. There's a lot of exterior things, interior things I can fix. I don't do a lot of the in-depth stuff. This preacher I'm talking about, however, he really can do everything. I mean, he's one of those guys I absolutely love to hate. Amen. He's a welder. I mean, he's a plumber, he does body work, painting, he just does everything you can imagine, electrician. And so he gets this old 71 MCI bus, and he takes it to his place there in Wyoming and puts it on this nice, flat piece of concrete. And he begins to change it so that it's usable, so that it can actually be a good representation of the owner and also fit a function and get a job done. And uh, so he begins to go in and tear all the seats out. It was a passenger bus. And uh, say, why is that? Because those seats are according to the old bus. They serve no purpose with the new bus schematic. They, they, they can't be used. They're worth it. They'll get in the way is all they'll do. And so that's a process. Tearing bus seats out is not fun. An old rusted out bus. Bolts are breaking. Everything's happening. You know, you're there with a grinder doing everything you can. And some of those seats, it's almost like they're part of it. They just don't want to come out. See, that's where we're at oftentimes. Well, Lord, you've already taken 31 seats, man. These last seven over here, I just love those. I run to them whenever I'm feeling weak. God says, no, they've all got to go. So after the first four years, you know, he's yanking and yanking and yanking and taking and taking. And you're putting off and you're putting off and you're putting off. And God's taking all that stuff out. And finally, the last seat is gone. You've reached a level of spiritual maturity. And you thought yourself was really, you said, self, we're really doing good. And just about the time you get up on your knees and got up on your plateau, now you can see there's about another hundred plateaus you didn't even know existed. So all the seats are out, and he looks down and says, man, that's a great accomplishment. Sure is, because now you can see how terrible the floor is. And the realization hits, now I've got to start letting them tear the floor out. So God starts on your floors, and he tears them and tears them. And I'm going to tell you what, sometimes it hurts. That's why there's yieldedness every day. That's why there's confession every day. That's why there's repentance every day. My friend, I've got to yield to him. And just about the time you say, man, Lord, that was a massive trial. Man, I almost couldn't handle that. Lord says, well, get ready. I'd use that to prepare you for the one down the road. And all the floors are finally ripped out of this bus. And he backs up and says, well, you know, it's interesting because all the walls are damaged too. All those got to come out. A floor bone's connected to the wall bone. Wall bone's connected to the ceiling bone. And he strips the whole thing down to absolutely nothing. And then he starts over. He gathers up all brand new spools of wire. And he rewires the bus from nose all the way to tail. He gets brand new pipes and glue and fittings. And he plums it. Plums it for a washer and dryer. Plums it for a dishwasher. A new sink in the kitchen. A new sink in the bathroom. Toilet in the bathroom. He puts all brand new plumbing in. And man, he just makes it fit real tight. All new fixtures go in. Brand new hardwood floors. New soft touch leather. Soft touch ceilings. Rope lighting. Can lighting. Brand new bed. New sofa. Nice little shag rug area where his wife and little foo-foo the dog sits. Amen. Whatever its name is. And, and, and then he did that. He made curved cabinets to fit the car. Contour the bus. And honestly, when you walk in this bus, after all that process and all that work, you say, wow, this thing is awesome. 
It's beautiful. But wouldn't that be odd if you walked up to it and said, who owns that old rusted tank? You ought to see the inside. It really is nice. It doesn't work if the outside doesn't represent the inside. So he went outside. And against my better judgment, amen, I am a navy blue type guy, I guess, or something like that. But he painted this bus candy apple, almost fire red. That's just what he liked. He said that's what we wanted. And that they clear coated it. I mean, this thing glistens. Then he said, well, preacher says, my last hoorah, so don't you judge me. He put chrome uh, packages around the windows, a chrome bumper in the front, chrome bumper in the back. And, uh, I mean, that's, that's their life and everything they've got poured into that. But listen, he painted his name and calligraphy on the side. But when you drive into a meeting, if you see that rig, you don't drive up to the rig and drive around it and say, wow, that's amazing how that rig did that to itself. You say, who owns this bus? Who, who did this? Man, I've never seen one like that before. Man, that thing glistens. Look how, look how beautiful that is. Man, there's only one of those. Man, I can't, where's the guy that did that? I've got to meet this guy. You see, my friend, it gives glory to the one who did it all. You see, you know, you and I, are, we're old rotted 71 MCI buses. To say that we're 71 MCI buses, probably the compliment of the ages, because we were on the devil's trash heap, buried under a bunch of rusty buckets and nails and filled with rats crawling everywhere. And God came and saw what we could be and the work that he could do, not what we were. That's exactly what he told Israel. But he picked us up out of there. And my friend, he's put us on his platform. And right now he may be on seat number seven with you. He may be ripping out your ceilings or tearing out my floor. But you're never done with the process until you see Jesus face to face. And if you think you've attained, you have not attained. And you're the first one this message is for if you think you've reached some kind of level of spiritual maturity. Every time God's ever given me some growth, it gives me clear vision to see that I've not grown nearly what I ought to. And there's so much further I've got to go. And see, sanctification becomes a goal of life. It becomes ever-consuming becomes a heart's desire. Oh God, make me like Jesus. Let my wife have a godly husband who's like Jesus. Let my children know that there's a God in heaven because of how close I walk to you. When I witness the lost people, let them not just know the facts of the Bible because they've all had people run them down the Romans road. But let them see the clear burden and broken heart like Jesus has to even go to the cross and die for sinners. Let them see God through me. The only way that can happen, my friend, is if we're in the sanctification process every day. Those that backslide and fall away, they got out of the process, got away from repentance, got away from their Bible, got away from trying to live like Jesus Christ and put that good word of God in and live it out. Sanctification. I pray that uh, each one of us will remember these three things every single day. Father, thank you, Jesus, Lord, for this time together. Thank you, O oh God, for the privilege of being able to be in this church again. Lord, it's been a long time. It just feels good to be here with the saints of God. Thank you, Lord, the doors didn't close. Thank you, dear God, that you've kept this place going as a lighthouse. And thank you for every soul that was saved in the last five years, last ten years, dear God. Thank you.